unsung heroes within the ministry of the High Wesleyan Church. One of them, his heart is beating very fast right now. He's in our sound booth. Hi, Ed. Can I just tell you guys how much I appreciate the Laycock brothers and Ed uh, for their continuous service. guys uh, are on each week. One of them is uh, taking care of things back there that we don't see. They, they kind of push some bells and some whistles and uh, they are the, the odds behind the curtain, you know what I mean? And they take care of things and uh, I, I did something to them. That was two weeks ago. Uh, on, a, on a Friday all day, we totally replaced our entire soundboard. Uh, we took our old soundboard, which was an analog system, and we replaced it with a digital soundboard, and it is awesome. <laughs> but, as you can imagine, changing from a, some of you have done this, change from a rotary phone to a push-button phone, <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Uh, or, or change from a flip phone to a smartphone, and you don't even know where the app is to make a phone call. <laughs> Pass it around. I have a strategy all worked 
how I've been there. And then the strategy kind of goes kaput when I see them bring out a burger for someone else. And I look at that burger crossing the restaurant and I go, there's just no way. Maybe, like me, you enjoy watching uh, eating competitions. It's much, it's much more fun to watch an eating competition than joining one, I'm sure. Uh, but maybe you've seen like the shows like Man vs. Food, where uh, there's a task placed before uh, the host of the show, or the eating competition is very real, and the object is to eat as much or as many as possible. And the task seems impossible. There's something fun about watching Man vs. Food, because the guy has like a 17-pound cheesecake in front of him. And he looks at that 17-pound cheesecake, and he doesn't look like I would look if I was looking at a 17-pound cheesecake. I would be off the show. I'd be walking away. But what he does is he starts cutting it up into bite-sized pieces, little portions at a time, and he takes one bite. And then he takes another bite. And then he regrets his life, right? I mean, let's be real. There's something about the way people in our culture, people in this world face an impossible task that makes good sense. What about in our personal lives? Have you ever approached a, a, a task, something that you've faced and you've known that it is absolutely impossible? Maybe it's cleaning the garage. Any wives elbowing your husbands right now? Anybody's garage up for inspection today? Anybody willing for our live camera crew going right now to someone's group? Wouldn't that be awesome if we just throw it up on the screen and they walk in your garage? Man, that would have been a great idea. We have garages, we have basements, we have a closet that needs downsizing, we have that room somewhere in the house, we have that workshop, we have that spot somewhere in our lives. For me, it's my office. Where you walk in every day, or maybe you choose not to walk in because you know what you face. And you see the mess before you, and you know how impossible of a task it is. And so you choose the lesser of two evils, and you go mow the grass instead. You go wash the car, wax the car. You've got a lot of other things to do, don't you? Because the tasks in our lives sometimes are so overwhelming. All of these ideas of the garage or painting the house or cleaning out or downsizing a closet, we all face those and we approach those kinds of tasks with a, a predisposed feeling of defeat because we take the I'll never accomplish it attitude and we find something else a little bit more doable. A, a little bit easier on our to-do list to focus our attention on. We walk away from Denny's without our name up, uh, on the wall, and we eat a whole pizza at pizza, right? For me, getting through some of those tasks, uh, achieving completion in something, has taken place when I've made a personal, concerted effort to dive in and start small. Just like the guys on those eating shows. They cut things up and they take one bite at a time. Starting last week, we started talking about the series of messages that are going to carry on for a couple of weeks and go uh, through our district conference, which is coming up in just two weeks. Pastor Bob and I are preaching this series of messages that have the title, Very Really, We Want Them Most. We, we want some of them. You know the title of the message that's on the screen in front of you. We want them 
Just that phrase, as a Christian, just uh, understanding what the truth of that, that, that statement says, that we truly want to evangelize the world. You see the artwork. You see a, a, a map of the globe laid out in little figures. These are representative of real people in the world. But when we say something like, we want them all, we want them all to come to know Jesus Christ, when we say something like that, can I admit to you that there's something that happens inside of me that happens when I see the four-pound cheeseburger? I, I, I want it all. I, I, I want what that offers. It would be awesome. But I look at it as an impossibility. I'm not a competitive eater. I'm not someone who knows how I can actually accomplish it. My name wouldn't go on the wall and I would be out a lot of money. I would fail. So when we say something like we want them all, I think there's some things we need to learn and understand when it comes to living that out. Now we can take examples from Scripture from. I think I face the term, we want them all, with a little bit of hesitation because maybe like you, I don't know who you are or how you're wired, but I'm, I'm kind of a fixer. If there's a problem, I want to fix it. If there's a task, a goal, I want to achieve it. Anybody else like that? You see a problem, you know how it needs to be fixed, you know what the goal is, and you're like, all right, how do we accomplish it? How do we get through it? What's the first step? How do we, how do we make this happen? When I think about my role as a, a, a member of the kingdom of God, when I think about my responsibility as a child of God, wanting to serve my master first and foremost, when I think about the insurmountable task of a lost, broken, sinful world, there's something that happens inside of me that thinks, I think someone else probably wants them all a little bit more than I do. Oftentimes, the idea of reaching beyond myself, beyond my own comfort levels, beyond my own level of thinking, becomes that same impossible task, like cleaning out the garage or our office. When it's presented to us, it overwhelms us, and we sometimes quickly try to find the next lesser thing. Give me something else to focus on. Ah! Don't ask me to tell people about Jesus. Ask me to be uh, the guy or gal that sweeps or stands somewhere else, does something else. Ask me uh, to give my attention elsewhere. This morning, let's choose to take a bite. Let's choose to cut up a 16-pound cheesesteak and take the first bite. Let's start small. If you're willing with me, take this next bite. Not just saying, we want them all. That's a great mantra, right? We want them all to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Let's take a bite into that. Look with me at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. We're going to move quick this morning. You're going to get to lunch first. Maybe. That's kind of what I told the membership class yesterday. We closed this place down at 6 o'clock last night. Just kidding. Matthew chapter 9, you know this passage of scripture. It's important in the life of what it means to serve Jesus Christ. 
Listen to these verses from the New Living Translation. Verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, some of you have this written down somewhere. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to this field. We invite your heads to me. Lord Jesus, we pray the same prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We are asking that you would send more servants into the harvest ripe fields, the ready areas, the difficult areas, the neighborhoods, the cities, the countries, the schools, the workplaces, the difficult spots where the good news needs to be preached and lived. Give us ears to hear the Lord. Thank you for your word, for your true word, which reminds us how to be on task. Help us as we take this plan. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, I believe there's three things in this passage of scripture that, uh, that remind us of Jesus' example and allow us to take heed from his life and live it out ourselves. The first example is this, Jesus worked hard. Jesus worked hard, so must we. Amen? Um, Sunday. We don't work on Sundays. Preachers don't work on Sundays. See this? This isn't sweat. This is easy. Oh, goodness. I haven't done anything today. I only work on Fridays. We don't work, right? We have a lot of work to do. Jesus worked hard. Look at verse 35 again. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of his area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing publicly the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. I, I think it's unfortunate that the church of Jesus Christ, maybe especially here in America, have a warped view of the job we have while we're here on earth. It's almost as if we, as the American church, here in the West, it's almost as if we have adopted the American dream kingdom mindset. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's this American dream. We talk about it, we see about it, it's advertised to us, it's, it's spoken proudly and boldly all across this land. If I could help us to understand the American dream, let me summarize it this, this way. This is a little tongue-in-cheek. But I think it goes a little something like this, and I hope it doesn't register with any one of us. The American Dream says possibly, do as much work right now. Do as much as I can right now so that eventually I can take a break when I'm tired. Do as much in this moment so that I can let it up to someone else. I, I, I can do as much as I can right here, right now, so that it's up to someone else later. A couple of years ago, I read a book. It's entitled Radical Together. It's by a 30-something pastor. His name is David Platt. 
He's from Alabama, and in the introduction of the book, he gives an overview of his previous book that was titled Just Radical. It's a book that I also read, and it blew me out of the water. He writes this quote. It's up on the screen. In my first book, Radical, Platt says, I explored how the biblical gospel affects individual Christian lives. Simply put, in a world of urgent spiritual and physical need, gospel-believing, God-exalting men and women do not have time to waste their lives pursuing a Christian spin on the American dream. Someone should have said amen. Do we agree together that the world is lost and broken? Do we agree that the world is lost and broken? Do we agree that the enemy has a strong foothold in our culture? So do we dig a hole in the ground and put a heavy rock over it and hide ourselves and our families in that hole? If we would realize what Jesus was about here on this earth, if we see in this example from his life that he lived a life, his Service to others was the, uh, the life goal. That was his dream of serving others. He came not for himself, not to be exalted himself in this earthly form, but to serve others. And he did so, even was obedient to the point of death on a cross. When we understand that, when we take that in, when we allow that to do a transformational work, we should be quickly convicted in our hearts of the ways many of us continue to pursue this guy above everyone else. We've been taught since birth that we are it. That whatever we feel, our, we've said these phrases again and again, I want to do whatever it takes to be happy for myself. Friends, can I tell us? There's no, there's no spot in Scripture that gives us permission to make ourselves happy at others' expenses. In contrast, Jesus is example, He came to serve everyone else. And He established His church to live out that truth, that reality, forever after. I think the philosophy of buying into the American dream often trickles into our spiritual lives. We sometimes uh, add this desire to hope to do uh, enough right now, maybe uh, with as little uh, uh, work or effort as possible to get that eternal reward. We, we try to uh, sign up on the, 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 the clipboard of heaven's registry and get ourselves saved. Find a way to uh, uh, make ourselves believe that we've done enough to receive the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And we think we can go about business as usual. That bearing the name of Christ has little to do with a lifestyle change or a true transformation, but it has more to do with a belonging to another organization. Verse 35 this morning gives us a glimpse of the work Jesus was about here on earth and how it should inspire us to be about the same thing. 
He worked hard not so that we wouldn't have to work hard, but he worked hard as an example to you and to me about what it is we should be doing while he, for some reason, is held from coming back. Rapture the church. How do we live the example of Jesus? How do we live out this idea of, of Jesus' job on this earth? His ministry was that he traveled through all towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He was proclaiming the truth of grace being offered, forgiveness from sin, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. How do we live out that example? Sheep. 
doesn't know better. Why does that come so difficult to us? Why is it so much easier to look at someone who looks different than me and say, you better get it right, Bubba. You're going to burn. You're missing out. Can you imagine with me? Maybe you have stories in your family. I know I have some. Of opportunities where grace and compassion was the first step in a relationship with someone else. Not acceptance of sin. Not elevating sin to an acceptable idea. But walking alongside someone and loving them because you have been loved. When someone lives a life contrary to what we know from the Word of God, that He wants us to live, why is it that our usual response is one of judgment when I believe we know a more proper response is compassion? We understand that there is a lost and dying world right outside the doors of our church. Sometimes it even comes inside. We must have compassion on it and allow the life-changing love offered through the grace of Jesus Christ to do the transformation. You know how, you know how often judging someone changes their mind?
Passion says that the good news of grace offered through Jesus Christ is truly life transformational. And it needs to be shouted from the rooftops. It needs to be proclaimed in the churches, the synagogues. It needs to be talked about at the water cooler and at the metal fabrication plant. It needs to be talked about in our schools. It needs to be talked about in the public sector. It needs to be proclaimed by the ways we love and have compassion on those outside of us. It needs to be brought to a, a hurting husband who's lost without his wife. How do we live out compassion? I think we have to pray for it. I don't think it comes naturally. I don't think this is part of uh, necessarily the human nature. I think we are bent further away from compassion than we want to admit. We feel sorry on some level for some things. Just this morning, just this morning as I was on the phone with my accountability partner, I heard a sound in the church that made me very nervous. I was the only one here. It was a, a sound of a screaming child. How weird is that? And I was on the phone and I was like, is that coming through the phone? And I held the phone away and I listened and I'm like, oh, the coffee pot must be exploding. So I ran towards the coffee pot and the sound got further away. So I ran back to my office and I opened up my window and I heard and I felt sorry for an animal who was expired somewhere out in the woods. Well, I had compassion on the animal. There's something in our human nature that helps us to feel sorry for. But true compassion, as Jesus showed, puts something, someone else before our own selves. What did I do? When I had compassion on that animal, I made sure my window was locked shut and I said, I actually, I pulled it down again and I said, shut up out there. <laughs> it didn't shut up. I want to pray for compassion in my own life. I want to pray that my go-to response, when people are different than me, I, 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 instead of my go-to human nature response, my raised in the church, my pharisaical response is to lower my gaze, shake my head. That does not seem compassionate. I would much rather my heart break. Because I believe that's what God's heart does. I believe he's furious brokenness and sinfulness that is rampant, but just as furious as he is of the sin in this world, his heart bleeds literally with the blood of Jesus for compassion, begging him that people would grasp onto that cleansing blood. He has made the offer. He is holding back his wrath on the broken, sinful nature of this world. Compassion being extended right now to you and to me. It's very real. We need to reciprocate. Third point. Jesus prayed. So must we. Verses 37 and 38. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Here in these two verses, Jesus both acknowledges the overwhelming task, the 16-pound cheesesteak. He acknowledges that it's in the room. The harvest is plentiful. The garage is full. Your office is a mess. And 
tells us a step towards accomplishing the task. Jesus knows the hugeness of the situation. The fields are ripe for harvest. The world needs a savior. The world is headed to hell. He knows. He sees it. And yet, too few of us are complying with the response to completing the task. So he offers a solution. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who already knows, the one who holds it in the palm of his hand, the one who knows everyone and everything and the number of hairs on their head. Ask him, the one who knows all, is all, is everywhere, has it all under his domain. Ask him to send out workers, to raise up missionaries, evangelists, and people, to come along side by side and be fishers of men, field workers, farmers, harvesters, seed planters. And we know from the whole of Scripture that our job is not to do as much in this moment as we can so that we can relax later. But our job, maybe if we're two years old, or 200 years old you are, whatever our age, whatever our generation, whatever our capability, whatever our understanding of technology, whatever our level of interest, all of us are these workers, these servants, these seed planters. I hope you'll pray daily for our overseas missionaries who've given up their sometimes comfortable lives here in the States to devote themselves to unreached people groups, to establish a portion of the kingdom of God that continues to reach out beyond itself and preach the gospel of grace. I hope you'll pray too for those right here in our church that God is calling and training to be those active harvesters closer to home. And as you pray, you ever pray for patience? Remember what happens when you pray for patience? You wish you didn't pray for patience? Because you have to learn patience. As we pray for harvesters, as we live out what Jesus says in verse 38, as we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the field, guess what he's going to do? Some of you already know. Some of you already know that you have been called to be a servant in some capacity. Some of you already know that you have been called by God to take the next level in surrendering your life, your work, your experience, your gifts to His service. You're a harvester. He's uniquely gifted some of us in this place to serve Him more fully. As you pray, may you experience the same call to be a missionary, no matter your gifts, no matter your context, no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your training, no matter your education, no matter your comfort. So what do we do? What happens next? Do we just stop talking? Do we just get over it? We just admit, yeah, that's 
good. I hope someone is listening. I hope someone gets called. I hope someone responds to the call. Can I ask that we continue to be a church that emphasizes the work of missions both here and afar? We have to be about the task of reaching them all. We have to. It has to be something that we understand, something that we live for, something that every focus, every action, everything that we do as a church has to be intent upon declaring the gospel, proclaiming the truth, the good news of the kingdom of God. Everything we do has to start with it. We must continue to be a church that emphasizes compassion. Let's love. Let's love in new ways. Let's love first. It must be a church that continues to pray. I was so proud. As I looked up after we were finished with the community service praying for Brody Lennon, to look up and turn around, our family was sitting on one of the front rows and to turn around and just see Hyde Wesley uh, sitting all around us. It was awesome. We are a church that prays. Let's do it more and more. Let's continue to be a church that gives towards reaching and them all. If we say we want them all, let's be about the business. Let's give extensively. Let's give miraculously. Let's give in ways that make us hurt to bring the gospel. If that's truly what we are, if that's truly what our, our job is, as we are the church established by Jesus to reach them all, let's continue to give. And let's continue to be a church that goes that goes into all the world, declaring the good news of the kingdom of God. All the world includes Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Do you know where that is? Going into all the world means our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, to our family members, to kids' lives behind us, to classrooms, the elementary school and high school, to all the nooks and crannies of central PA. It means going overseas. It means proclaiming the gospel with our lives and our words, our families and our resources. Is it impossible to reach them all? I don't believe it is. I believe God has given us the resources and opportunity as the church proclaim the good news. Is everyone going to choose the right path? We know the answer to that. Is it our job to proclaim until the day he returns? It is. How's that 16 pound cheesesteak looking? What's the first step? The very proper theologian said that a little bit tongue in cheek. His name's Rev Run of Rev DMC, awesome 80s rap group. Says this. Look at this quote. It really doesn't matter the size of your next step. What really matters is the direction. Let's walk in step with fully surrendering ourselves to the service of Christ Jesus. Being a harvester involves surrender, surrendering ourselves. Our concern is no longer about our own needs and our own agenda. Harvesters like us 
need to be committed to constantly being constantly aware of the needs around us, finding opportunity to have compassion, moved to act on those needs, and mobilizing others, bringing others into our camp to join together for the task. I want you to watch this video from our global partners of the Wesleyan Church. It's our mission to arm of the Wesleyan Church, and there's some unique statistics that this video uh, gives us insight into about how we as a church can double as a denomination our overseas missions opportunities. Watch this. It's called Amplified Labors. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Consider this. There are 3.5 billion Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus without Christ. There are over 1 million villages and neighborhoods without a single local church among them. There are still 7,000 unreached people groups around the world, and in some areas, evangelicals account for less than 1% of the population. Under all of these sobering facts is the reality that person after person has never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. They will stay lost until someone crosses culture to reach them with the gospel. It's always tempting to settle rather than to send, to stay rather than go. But there's a divine urgency for the work that is before us. We need every Wesleyan district, every local church, every leader, and every believer mobilized for this cause. Completing the mission is within our grasp. Think about this, if each Wesleyan district sent two new missionaries per year over the next four years, then we would see 240 new missionaries sent by 2020. Our capacity to engage unreached people would double. If every Wesleyan church increased giving by $2,000 per year in the next four years, then those 240 new missionaries would be completely funded. Or to put it another way, if each member of the Wesleyan Church increased their giving by $21 per year over the next four years, then this financial goal would also be met. And if 10 more people from every church participated in extraordinary prayer, those participating in a global movement of the gospel would increase by 16,000. What more might God do through these prayers? To reach global cities, we need professionals from all walks of life to cross culture and live on mission. We must send church planters, team leaders, educators, business strategists, and medical professionals. How will you leverage your influence to mobilize holistic church planting teams to unreached cities? There are billions waiting on the other end of our obedience. Together, Let's amplify the mission. We stand. Bow your heads. Can I ask a simple question? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Nobody's looking around to check to make sure someone else responds in a certain way. Can I just ask three words? 
Are you willing? If you're willing, if you're willing to be used by God in whatever gifts, talents, abilities He's currently given you, and whatever He wishes to do, to be a harvester, if you're willing to be a servant led by the Holy Spirit, would you just simply raise your hand, acknowledging that you're willing? Wherever, whatever, you're saying, you're not acknowledging to me, I'm not counting, I'm not writing names down, you're acknowledging to God. Peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.